Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares reveals one of the toughest challenges we face when sharing the gospel. God would love to replace your heart. God would love to get you right with Him. God would love to append all of your sins judicially to the cross so that you don't bear your sins anymore, that you would die and be acceptable before God in the next life without any reference to your sins. He would love to do that, but you've got to admit you have a sin problem. And that's a problem because most people don't want to hear it. Jesus said he came to heal the sick. But if people don't believe they're sick and suffering from the effects of sin, how can they accept the cure in Christ? Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares delivers a powerful message about the painful diagnosis of sin and the deadly consequences of this dreadful disease. I'm Dave Drewy, and this is the final message in our study series from Acts chapter 7. And now here's Pastor Mike with a critical message called The Pushback Against the Messengers. I know you're all accustomed now to hearing about every day, it seems, viruses, their impact, and their proposed remedies. We hear that all the time. But you need to remember that it wasn't long ago before the acceptance of modern germ theory that we didn't have a sense. Germ theory, of course, is that there are microscopic, invisible to the naked eye, viruses and bacteria that actually cause these things. Before that understanding, there were a lot of proposed therapies that were not remedies, right? They just dealt with the symptoms and uh, never really got to the problem. And therefore, you had a lot of wacky and crazy suggestions to solve problems that were not rightly understood. Understanding the problem is critical, right? You, you can't propose a remedy, at least you're shooting in the dark with remedies, if you don't know what the problem is. And therefore, we need to be careful, you're going to go to the doctor, that you get a proper diagnosis. And if that's true for your physical life, imagine how important it is for your spiritual life. You better know what the problem is. Now, some people think there is no problem. They'd like to go to a doctor with a sign out front that says, we'll never give you any bad news, right? Well, that, that, that may make you feel good. Every appointment will be, you know, you're looking great. You look like us, just a picture of health. That, that'd be awesome. But what I really want the doctor to do is to be honest with me, uh, because if I have a problem, if it's serious, at least I want to get that fixed. And if there's a fix for it, I'd like to have it. We've been studying in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who has been preaching here, teaching, responding to the Sanhedrin, the council that had just imprisoned his pastor, had beaten his pastor, told him to stop preaching, Peter, and now they've got Stephen there. And it's the same council that had previously, just months before, had put Jesus before them and turned them over to the Romans to be crucified. So this is an educated and experienced group of people that were in the know about Christ, about Christianity. They, they had clarity about all that, and yet they were really not responding well. As a matter of fact, that's what Stephen's whole speech was about, is looking at the pattern of God sending the right person, the deliverer, the leader, and having the people in their stubbornness just not respond well. They, they didn't recognize it. And he's basically setting them up for the diagnosis. He's saying, look at all the problems out there. Now let's talk about you. Now, we finally turn the corner in the last two paragraphs of Acts 7. So I want you to turn there. We're going to try and quickly look at verses 51 through 60 as Stephen concludes his speech, and it doesn't end well for him. <laughs> it ends well in the sense that we get a clear diagnosis, but to a bunch of people that have rejected it in the past, they're certainly not interested in hearing it now. Uh, I was going to say a third time, but 
there were probably a multitude of people that had said to the Sanhedrin, this council that he was speaking to, of what they needed to do and their problem that they had with God. So he responds this way. It sounds harsh, but remember that background. It may help you with the way that he's going to respond to them in saying, you've got a problem. Well, what's the problem? Verse 51. You are stiff-necked people. Now, that's the phrase you probably didn't use this week uh, on people, unless you're an old, crotchety, proper gentleman. I don't know who uses that phrase. You're a, you're a stiff-necked person. But of course, that's the biblical terminology, even from the Old Testament, about people that were stubborn, right? You're stubborn. And, and then he uses a phrase, which I assume you haven't used this week, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You didn't say that to anyone this week. Your ears are uncircumcised. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You're resisting what God has to say. You've heard it in the scripture, which you're not listening to. You've heard it in Jesus himself and confessing to you who he is. You've heard it from Peter and, and John. You've, you've heard what the truth is and you don't want to hear it. And, and that shows the problem that you have, just like the people in the Old Testament that he's been reviewing for the last 50 verses. And then he says, think about it. Which of the prophets did your fathers, the ancestors in the Old Testament, not persecute? Why? Because they were saying things they didn't want to hear. I think about Micaiah in the Old Testament. Not Micah, but Micaiah, notoriously evil king Ahab, had a conference here with the king of the south. He's the king of the north. His wife was Jezebel. You remember them as notoriously evil in the Old Testament. And the king of the south says to the king of the north in this little uh, power they were having, hey, don't you have a prophet that you can inquire of the Lord to find out what God thinks of all this? And he says, well, I, I do have a prophet, Micaiah, but, but he says he always prophesies evil about me and never good. Well, because we've read the rest of Ahab's life, your, ba your life is bad. Of course, God is wanting you to deal with the moral and ethical issues of your life. And, and then he says this, therefore, I hate him. <laughs> he doesn't like him. He doesn't want to hear it. And this is the problem here with the people that Stephen is speaking to. And it's just like the prophets in the Old Testament. They didn't want to hear. They hated them from Jeremiah. I mean, you go all the way back to the beginning of the prophets emerging and Moses being the great mouthpiece of God, even in the desert. They didn't, didn't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the truth. And they killed, they didn't just persecute them, but that many of them they killed. They killed those who announced beforehand in their prophecies, the righteous one. You see that capitalized in your English text? The righteous one. This is the first reference in, in 51 verses of Christ. He's finally talking about Jesus. This whole speech was a defense of his Christianity, but he finally gets around to talking about Jesus and he didn't even use his name specifically. He uses this appellation, this title, the righteous one, which again stands in contrast to them. They are unrighteous because they're resisting the Holy Spirit and they have their fingers in their ears, so to speak, and they are uncircumcised and calloused in their heart and their neck is stiff. They're rebellious. They won't bow down to Christ. Whom, now he says about the righteous one, look at the bottom of verse 52, whom you betrayed and murdered. And these very people did that. This very group of people, these 70 leaders of Israel, they, they did that. They said, okay, we're handing him over to be crucified. You received the law, it says in verse 53, as delivered by angels. This was the picture on Mount Sinai of Moses receiving the, the tablets and the law and did not keep it. You, you didn't do what the law said. The law, as he said earlier, Moses speaks of the coming prophet, the righteous one, Jesus, and you're not listening to that. You want to cherry pick the Bible, you want to cherry pick the things that Moses said, and you're choosing not to listen to the parts that you don't like. And of course, particularly, we don't like the parts that talk about our sin problem, which is what those first verses are about. In verse 54, it says, now they heard these things, look carefully in verse 54, and they were so thankful that they finally got an honest diagnosis about their stubbornness and their hard hearts. No. When they heard these things, this happens too when you share 
the message of sin and, and judgment. This is what often happens, right? Uh, they get enraged. They heard these things and they were enraged. That's a strong word. And they ground their teeth at him. What a visual. You see someone who gets mad, you start to see the muscles on their jaws start to flex and you know, maybe even physically grind their teeth. They're so angry with a clenched jaw. They're angry at hearing that they're stiff-necked, that they're the ones that don't obey the law. I mean, they dragged him in and said, you're blaspheming against the law. He says, nope. I'm obeying what the law says, and the law is pointing to Christ, and Christ is the solution to our sin problem, and you have a big sin problem. You're not even listening to the Spirit. You're not responding to the conscience that God has given you. You're not reading the Scripture and, and responding the way that it says you ought to. Your hearts are calloused. Your ears are plugged. You refuse to listen, and they didn't want to hear it. Now, they were full of rage, but in verse 55, he is full of God's Spirit. And gazing up into the sky, up into heaven, he saw the glory of God. So he has this vision here about to be rushed upon. He saw the glory of God. And interesting phrase, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You often hear about in the book of Hebrews that he's seated at the right hand of God because the priests would never sit down. There were no chairs in the temple or the holy place or the holy of holies because they were always working and always doing their work. And the book of Hebrews says, but Jesus is finished with his work, his redemptive work, so he sat down. So you got Jesus here, the only reference to him, standing at the right hand of the Father. And I think there's two implications to that. One in particular we'll see is that he's ready to receive into his presence the very first martyred, Stephen, as we'll see. But he's standing there at the right hand of God. And he said, but the reason we know that is because he tells them that. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, which, again, I try to emphasize this every time we see this phrase, but it's like for the seminary-educated elite, the scribes, the Pharisees, the people sitting on the, on the Sanhedrin, they're like, ding, 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 ding. You're using very important biblical phraseology here. Son of Man, that's Daniel chapter 7, the representation of the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and he has going to execute judgment on the world. Everyone's going to be evaluated. But he calls one before him like the son of man, it says. There's the phrase. And all dominion, all authority, all oversight of people that have ever been made has been given to the son of man. And he calls all people to obey him. He is the son of man. It's the number one phrase, most frequently used phrase that Jesus uses about himself. When he talks about himself in light of prophetic scripture, he loves the phrase son of man. And he references himself as this person. And now, He's saying out loud, right, as they're enraged and clenching their jaws, he, he says, the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God, which again has got to just even infuriate them even more. And it does. Verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped gr grinding their teeth and they start yelling. And they stopped their ears. Talk about the uncircumcised ears. I mean, it's like they got their fingers in their ears, like a little kid, you know, going, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear what you're saying. I mean, it's just so infantile. And they rushed at him. Well, that's not infantile. I mean, they're going after him in violence now. And they go to grab him. You can envision this. And, of course, they're not going to stone him to death, which they're about to do on the Temple Mount in this court setting in the Supreme Court of Israel. They're going to drag him out of town, which, according to the laws of the Old Testament, that's what you did if, if you had a judicial sentence on killing someone. So you can see them dragging this grown man and see some of the people in the church even. You can imagine the, the chaos in all of this. They dragged him out of the city and they stoned him. This is torturous. This is painful. And the witnesses, bottom of verse 58, laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, Sunday school graduates, you know this guy, Saul of Tarsus. Who does he become? Paul, the apostle. So this is just an eerie little footnote that what you've got here, and as Paul says later, I was in full agreement, holding their cloaks, like, go get him. 
So he's enraged as well, and certainly in favor of these rocks. He didn't throw the rocks, but he's all about the rocks. Matter of fact, we're going to learn he's going to go out persecuting these Christians. But it says, Paul, Paul's there, future Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And when they were stoning Stephen, and that's a process, it's going to take several minutes, right? He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So the Son of Man, the great judge of all the world, he's looking up and saying, hey, receive my spirit. What a bold, confident assertion of his assurance that he's right with God. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, verse 60, God, go and punish these people for stoning me to death. Hmm. He says something reminiscent of Christ, and that is, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Well, the only way for a sin not to be held against anyone is what? To look to the righteous one as your redeemer and to trust in him. And, And how poetic that we just saw in verse 58, there is a man there who's in full agreement with killing Stephen, and that prayer comes true. Paul's sins have been blotted out, as he says in Colossians, nailed to the cross, affixed to the cross, to where he no longer bears his sin anymore. He has a heart for these people. He's not saying, we're the good guys, we're better than you, you're the bad guys. No, he's saying, listen, we were saved by grace, by the fact that we have put our trust in Christ, you guys have rejected Christ, that's a bad thing, but man, in the end, I wish that you would be saved. As Paul said, I would love to see you, as he looks at people that still reject Christ as he writes the book of Romans, I I, I would do whatever. I have unceasing anguish and tears about the fact that you are not repented, you have not put your trust in Christ. And in his last words, he says, God, I I want to see them forgiven. Do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the euphemism, of course, for death. After this pounding of rocks, he dies. Well, all this started, at least the conclusion of his speech up in that paragraph in verse 51, where he's calling them out for being resistant to the truth of God. Stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart and ears. You always resist the spirit. Just like your forefathers persecuted the prophets, you are persecuting me and you're persecuting my pastor and you put Christ to death. You murdered him, in other words, betrayed him and murdered him in verse 52. That is the diagnosis that Peter brought in the first sermon that we saw on the day of Pentecost in chapter two. It's the message that has been brought by Jesus himself all throughout the gospels. You have a sin problem, you need to see it and recognize it. I think of John chapter nine, you are blind because of your sin. And unless you recognize your blindness, you'll remain in your sin. But it's those who see that they're blind. There's a purposeful oxymoron. They see that they're blind. They recognize their blindness, their spiritual sin problem. He says, those are the ones that end up getting granted sight. I mean, this is the message. Talk about words we misunderstand. It's not just words like baptism. It's words like this. It's words that we see in the scripture, the gospel. We say, well, there's, there's a word. And you're talking about stuff that seems negative and the gospel, I know that word, it means good news. And it does mean good news. Euangelion is the Greek word translates gospel. Gospel, good news, means it's a good message. It is a good message. Just like your doctor might have a good message that he's got a remedy for you, that if you take it, you will be saved, right? That's, that's all great. That physical analogy, that medical analogy works. But you're never going to take the remedy unless you agree with the diagnosis, and that's the problem. That's like a doctor who's trying to get people to take some kind of a remedy, but there's no There's no motivation. There's no sense of a diagnosis. But you and I need to understand, the gospel includes, even though that's a big banner, good news, the good news is good news that there's a solution to the bad news, and the bad news is you have hard hearts against God and they need to be replaced. 
God would love to replace your heart. God would love to get you right with him. God would love to append all of your sins judicially to the cross so that you don't bear your sins anymore, that you would die and be acceptable before God in the next life without any reference to your sins. He would love to do that, but you've got to admit you have a sin problem. And that's a problem because most people don't want to hear it, right? You need to understand if you're taking notes, number one, no, the gospel diagnosis hurts. There is a diagnosis Right before the remedy, there's a diagnosis. And the remedy is great if you recognize the diagnosis. And that's painful. But you need to know how hard it is as you share that message of salvation with others, they don't want to hear that. They will get angry. They will be enraged. Right? They, they don't like to hear that your message of Christianity involves the fact that they have a sin problem and you should be able to sympathize with that because you don't like it either. Even as a Christian, if you've come to recognize your sin, you may sit there in your own home this week with an open Bible and you read the Bible, you get convicted and you say things to yourself, yeah, man, I am, uh, I, I'm an undisciplined person. I see that I am, I don't know, whatever you're saying, I have a bad temper and I, God, I, I'm sorry for that. I'm a person with, with just a, a bad set of habits that I'm enslaved to. You can have all that going on in your life, but if someone comes up to you in a small group and says, you know what, you are an angry, undisciplined, stubborn person, you won't go, oh, I was just thinking the same thing this week. You're not gonna be cool with that because your flesh is gonna go, I don't like being called those things. And I don't want someone telling me that, but that's the reality of the gospel. It has to expose those things. Now, I can't get around and tell you exactly what the sins are in the non-Christian that I care about that I want to see saved, but I got to get them to start looking internally as the Spirit of God starts to reveal those things to them and, and not resist the Spirit of God to say, you have a problem, and, and I want them to see that problem. And that's what Jesus said people struggle with. Matter of fact, in the most famous verse in all of the Bible, John 3, 16, you remember Jesus talking about that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Well, that's the solution. That's the remedy. But he goes on to talk in that same discussion about the problem of people not seeing the need for that remedy because he says, this is the judgment that's coming to the world that men love darkness rather than light. That's an analogy now. Because what? The light is going to expose their sin. Men love darkness. Their deeds are evil. And they refuse to come into the light because their sins are going to be exposed. And they don't like that. Just like if I said, okay, hey, take off your clothes, Got a little skimpy bathing suit for you to put on. And come on up here on the stage. And I'm going to say to the tech team, turn these lights way up. Everybody, spin around. Look at this person. I mean, there's only like three of you that would be like up for that. <laughs> the, the rest of us are going to go, not, not interested in that. Matter of fact, I see someone from church when I'm at the beach. You know, I didn't say I'm going to hide. I put the towel around me. I don't want people seeing that. I certainly want to, I don't want the light shined all over my body on, on the platform. We don't like that. And to the extent that you think, well, my body is not presentable to be on the stage with all these lights in a skimpy bathing suit. Think about your moral life, right? How ugly and unacceptable that is to a holy God. Talk about lights, man. And we're talking about the brightest light of all, the holy standard of God upon your life. And, and you're saying, I can't give the good news of forgiveness until you see the grossness of your sin. And I'm supposed to tell people at work I'm supposed to tell my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, you got a sin problem? It's bad? You should really think about how bad it is? That's why people don't want to hear the real gospel. They want to hear, hey, God loves you. Add a little Jesus to your life. Things will get better. But the real gospel exposes sin. Just know that sympathetically. Not that you ever curtail it, not that you ever edit it, not that you ever excise it from the message, but at least know, I get why sharing the gospel is hard. It's hard because the diagnosis hurts it's hard for people to embrace it. In the next section, 
I don't have a lot of time for this, but the next section, he brings up the Son of Man. Let me just summarize this. In this section, 55 through 58, he talks about seeing the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, that picture of the Son of Man, as I said, is a reference to Daniel 7. It's about judgment. They were seminary grads. They knew the Bible. This would be a painful reminder to them of everything, not only that Daniel 7 said, but that Jesus kept saying. And he kept saying things like this. When the Son of Man, he talked about himself in the third person because this is how Scripture presents the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with the angels, he will sit upon his glorious throne and he will separate the peoples into two groups, like a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He would say things like this in John chapter 5. Right? The Son of Man has been given all authority to judge. And these pictures of judgment, they know that Stephen is saying that Jesus has said, that Peter has said to them that you are wrong, and because you're wrong, there's a penalty for that. And now Stephen is saying, son of man, I see him now, standing at the right hand of the Father. They hated that because it was a picture and indictment of where they were headed to stand before the judge one day, and the son of man reference was a reminder to them of the prognosis, not just the diagnosis, that the prognosis was terminal. And like going to your doctor, if today you went to the doctor or tomorrow you went to the doctor and they said, yes, you have a problem and it's bad and it's going to kill you. And who knows, could kill you tomorrow, next week, next month. That would mess your day up because you're thinking, wow, I got a serious problem brewing inside of me. It's invisible, can't see it. But man, now all of a sudden I'm just bummed out because I feel like I'm a, I'm a, I could die in a month. Terminal, spiritually, that's the thing. It involves obviously physical death because physical death came as a result, Romans 5, of the spiritual death that was exacted at the moment of the sin in the garden in Genesis 3, that God says, now we're relationally separated. And one day, there's going to be death, physical death that comes to your biological body. But the reality of that prognosis of you now dying without fixing this problem, it ramps everything up. It's got a serious problem. We need to realize, number two, that the prognosis is dreadful. And we talked about this. We won't turn you back there. But when Hebrews talks about the reality of facing God without Christ, it says it is a dreadful thing, right? a dreadful thing, a fearful thing, I think is the, how the ESV translates, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You don't want to meet God, your creator, without Christ in, encasing you, being clothed in Christ. And that, again, is the stuff people don't, don't talk to me about sin and don't talk to me about hell. All that, I don't like that. That's old-time religion. I don't want it. See, but that's what the gospel begins with. This is Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares, and you're listening to part one of a message called The Pushback Against the Messengers. Now, if you joined us late or want to listen again, this program is available anytime on the Focal Point app or over on our website, focalpointradio.org. Well, in today's message, we heard how important it is to see sin for what it really is. And Pastor Mike has just released a brand new book about a common sin that entangles many Christians today. So here's Pastor Mike to tell you more. Yeah, Dave, it's called envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. You know, we're quick to point out the obvious sin around us, but we're less likely to identify or even notice the subtle, widespread sin that's lurking just inside, this sin called envy. But if we let this sin go unchecked, there's going to be some serious internal, relational, and even societal costs. So there's a good chance you're already suffering from some effects and consequences of this sin. So I hope you will get a copy of my new book, 
called envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. We're going to explore the causes and the consequences of envy, and I'll offer biblical hope and practical guidance to help you live with satisfaction and contentment. Thanks, Pastor Mike. You can request a copy of Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had, Pastor Mike's latest book, when you make a generous donation to Focal Point today. Call or go online to make a one-time financial gift or become a Focal Point partner by making your donation a monthly gift. To give, please call 888-320-5885 or go to focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, you can send your donation and request Pastor Mike's newest book by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for the final installment of a message called The Pushback Against the Messengers and the conclusion of our series of Gospel Lessons from the Old Testament. Hope to see you here Thursday for more Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.